At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sunday night edition of the pod. We're going hard again today to get all of the weekend's action over with. Uh, towards the end, we've got Saturday's games. We're not really going to talk about Spurs Warriors because that was a 3-0 series and the Warriors should be winning and they just played badly and that's why we're not really going to talk about that too much. If the Spurs win game five, we'll talk about that one. Uh, but for now, I think we want to talk about really two awesome games uh, today. The first one just completed, fresh in our minds, Pacers and Cavs. Cavs, it wasn't pretty they led by 10 at at halftime the offense ground to a halt down the end of the game but they're able to pull it out due to some great shooting from Kyle Korver just enough offense from LeBron 104 to 100 despite only 44 points in the second half after 60 in the first we'll talk a little bit about where this series will be going forward but first uh, this game uh, Danny what stood out to you other than a little Jordan Clarkson push in the first half I think it was five of five at that point almost everything good that happened for Cleveland offensively came from LeBron James LeBron played 46 minutes and nine seconds in this game only sat for that little two minute spurt it was actually in the middle of the second quarter it wasn't the beginning of the second quarter and the final line is it does a pretty good job of summarizing this 32 points on 12 of 22 shooting missed all five of his threes eight and nine from the line 13 rebounds seven assists one turnover two blocks just a great great game from lebron maybe not the scoring total of early in the series but just a central figure and everything yeah and that first half in particular when they put up the 60 points was completely unstoppable 8 of 11 7 of 7 from the free throw line with 23 points and four assists and basically the, the Cavs were only five out of 17 from three in the first half and he probably could even had more assists because he was setting up quite a few open threes for good shooters Corver in particular was 0 of 4 from three in the first quarter uh that would not continue he was really about all they had late they did get something out of Jordan Clarkson for the first time he was five of five for 12 points in the first half and uh oh four in the second half took so, had one particular player where he tried to go one-on-one against Corey Joseph that just you know, didn't really work and then they threw it to LeBron again but uh yeah I mean that that's really what it was all about 46 minutes is just unheard of in a playoff game like I don't know if he even played 46 minutes in game seven of 2016 I mean this is the levels that he has to go to now and yeah he's got to rest you know but he's making every play he can't throw the ball to Kyrie and let him do something it's really been him and ISO him and pick and roll him and ISO up top ISO post up against Bogdanovich who's 
fighting him hard for position i mean he's just an incredibly well-conditioned athlete and yeah he doesn't get back on d his defensive effort is not at the level it's been in previous postseasons but uh he's still you know we picked cleveland to win this series we picked cleveland i did at least to win the east because of that man and he was by far the best player on the floor tonight i also think this was a, a game of some missed opportunities for the pacers there were certainly elements that were positive but you could see a few things going differently and the pacers could have won this game thaddeus young missed a series of close layups he also went one of four from the free throw line bogdanovich who just felt it from three i think he was seven of nine in game three was two of eight here and the looks were not substantially worse they were a little bit worse late and they did get more kind of found money from sabonis but then the other guy who didn't who didn't have it in terms of efficiency at the same level though he was still majorly impacting the pacers offense was victor oladipo five of 20 from oladipo and his big problem one of seven at the rim and did not really get to the foul line wanted a a few calls but uh uh, those drives which were falling for him they packed it in just a little bit more also did not have the mid-ranger going and then was one of six on above the break threes uh he hit a couple of threes from the corner to help salvage his night a a little bit but uh you know the Cavs by trapping him I thought he dealt with that pretty well his teammates did a good job of attacking particularly early in the third quarter as they roared back from that 10 point halftime deficit with a 10-2 run to start the third but then the Cavs actually went back to a traditional pick and roll coverage late and they had just enough clogging the lane that he wasn't able to hurt them too badly he hit one pull up uh but and then we saw that the Pacers roll guys were able to kill them you know 19 points for Sabonis 17 for Turner um but uh Oladipo himself just couldn't quite be efficient enough and I think that hurt them down the stretch as well because they did play defense well enough in the second half um I think really where the Pacers will rue is the first quarter in particular you know you mentioned Young's problems it just felt like they missed a lot of really nice chances in the first quarter where they could have been a little bit more in contact uh they ended up getting outscored 30 to 24 and of course you know that J.R. Smith three uh was completely ridiculous as well uh well and then calderon made a three in the second quarter but it was too late yeah I mean, at so the end of the second buzzer, quarter right you had one buzzer beater and one non-buzzer beater that that, that jr shot real quickly going to his left away from the basket from about 70 feet I and mean, that's one of the hardest shots i've ever seen anyone hit i mean he was like lightly contested too like it wasn't even like the, he couldn't just like get his momentum going towards the rim it was really pretty incredible and part of the reason why the pacers struggles in the first quarter really hurt was how much went wrong for Cleveland in that first quarter. Kevin Love got into instant foul trouble. I think he got a second foul with 10:30 remaining in the in the first quarter. He came out pretty quickly. They actually went to Tristan Thompson. They weren't terrible in those minutes. I don't think Tristan Thompson was providing a lot of value. It was just that they were less terrible. Corver missed four threes in that first quarter. JR needed to find his stroke. And so yeah, they got some a little bit from Jordan Clarkson late. But Cleveland gave the Pacers an opportunity to really get control and we had talked about, you know, the tightness and remember i remember that with game two i said you know if the pacers come out strong and i thought they had an opportunity to do that and just couldn't put enough of a margin so then cleveland was able to get to a lead which they ended up giving up but that did help give them a margin so that when they stumbled they didn't have to fall really far behind yeah i thought they did well to come back uh the defense was much better in the second half but the Cavs did just enough and corver was huge the Cavs really killed them in the first half in transition too uh not as much in the second half but Corver got that corner three out of transition off the pass uh, from Love with LeBron had a nice hit ahead to Love who hit it to Corver in the corner and then 
what was a fateful play they put turner back in after i thought sabonis had been awesome switching on to lebron uh but then he also got beat for uh, giving up a corver i think it was actually a smith left wing three they were doing a lot of stuff where they're having love and another shooter usually smith screened for corver on the weak side so corver comes off a screen old depot just can't quite keep up with him turner doesn't come and help out uh but you know the window was extremely small corver gets it off drains that three going to his right that's where he's comfortable is going to his right and then the next time down they run the same play but turner is so concerned about corver coming off the screen and helping he completely turns his back to the action lebron goes right at bogdanovich to the spin move easy layup before anyone can react and those were that one and then the Corver corner three those were the three key shots of the game and Indiana couldn't quite score well enough down the end to keep pace there were a lot of other random kind of like oh what if this was different moments the J.R. Smith three is a huge one yeah. but but Indiana had a bunch of like banked in shots and crazy stuff too like, oh yeah oh you know. yeah and, and LeBron had a banker as well there was this super weird uh, partially because we didn't have audio the jump ball between Lance Stevenson and Jeff Green that ended up being called a foul Lance actually drew a fa- a technical on LeBron when he kind of t- was talking to him after a stoppage, and LeBron threw it threw an arm at him, and Lance went down. Lance also tried to draw tried to draw f- a f- he flopped in Cleveland's backcourt. A whole bunch of weird plays, and yeah, I mean you have so many. There were a couple times when Thaddeus Young also turned down some threes, and something else we should mention. I thought he did a nice job overall defensively in this game, especially considering how poorly I thought Turner did defensively. But Young sprained his ankle or at least appeared to we don't we haven't heard the tweak sprain definition yet and i thought he was really compromised at that point yeah i I was surprised how well he was able to play since he was clearly limping around he had a couple of nice offensive rebounds late although he did miss a pretty easy floater around the rim in the last minute again he he had a couple of struggles he had right before he sprained his ankle he had this awesome play where he crossed over on clarkson and went in for a dunk and i think it was the next play that he sprained his ankle by the way going back to that jump ball at the end Joe Borgia went on TNT's postgame show right after you left uh, my place and basically said that the review was just to see whether there was any altercation. They said that there wasn't, you know, no technicals needed or anything. It was just, you know, guys fighting around for the ball on the ground. Uh, But what he said was that the slot official actually had a foul at the same time as the jump ball and that that superseded the jump ball uh and so that was uh i didn't i thought that ken mauer the baseline official who had and and he uh, joe also said it wrong he said that ken mauer had a foul it looked like mauer was actually motioning for a jump ball uh it it didn't quite match what we saw on the screen but that was the ultimate explanation and you know i thought it probably should have been a jump ball uh but it was certainly very very close uh and you know even if the jump ball the pacers would have had to win that they still would have had to hit a three in the it's not like you know the and then the other one that was weird too was lebron signaling for a timeout and being granted when he takes both his hands off the ball signals timeout when thaddeus young has both of his hands on the ball at the same time but again they were down quite a bit by that point like that's not really what ended up losing them the game to me it was also a a very uneven game in terms of who was playing for the Cavs. some of that was due i mean other than lebron because he played 46 minutes because corver played i think it was the first eight minutes of the first half and then didn't come in at all because clarkson had been doing well 
Hood didn't play that much late. They used him more as a sub because JR hit a couple of shots. And so Cleveland playing the hot hands, certainly a reasonable argument, but I do not think Jeff Green was really providing much in those closing lineups, though to defend Lou a little bit, it's not like anybody else really stepped up and made themselves an undeniable fifth guy for that line. Well, and granted, George Hill was injured, although they hadn't been playing him down the stretch of these games anyway. I guess he was injured last game too, but nobody who was in that trade was on the floor for them at the end of this game. I think that, that's interesting. And those who were ready to declare the Cavs winners at the trade deadline, I mean, seeing the level that LeBron has have to work at right now uh, just to get out of the first round is those guys are not contributing a ton here. So historically, it's about an 80% chance, right, of the team with home court winning when it's 2-2 going back for game five? Yes, and I, I think... Uh, when it's 2-2 and but the road team has outscored the home team it's 76 percent of the home team winning i think that was about where i would put it here uh bob vulgaris tweeted this he thought they have a 25 percent chance of winning each game in in cleveland and a 50 percent chance of winning at home um i would say i might give them a little bit more of a chance in cleveland for this game five i mean i think that they in many ways are are the better team it's just and lebron Ron again 46 minutes he, he had to play in this game and how much and he really wilted down the end the fact that they were able to somehow scrounge out enough here Oladipo you know shooting poorly Pacers shot 43 percent in this game um you know I thought that they I mean if you wanted to say hey who could play better who can play worse you know I think we've seen Indiana reach a higher level as a basketball team than the Cavs have in this series um so I don't know I mean if it if these were all being played on a neutral court I think it'd be about even but it's not you know two of the next three games are in cleveland especially with the home court record of teams in game sevens uh and the fact also that with lebron down the stretch of games i think although oladipo has been good in the clutch this year he wasn't tonight uh that they really have the advantage uh any thoughts you but you have on uh adjustments here going forward for each of these teams before once you get through game four you you might be kind of out of adjustments at least in in a macro sense but anything come to mind for you not a ton i i like the cleveland went back they backed away from the traps because Indy had such a good counter in the second half of game three I would like to see the Pacers maybe even it it is tiring for Oladipo but just go a little bit more to isolations in Cleveland making them I would love to see Indiana this isn't necessarily a huge part of their game do more just complete off ball stuff just to occupy guys we actually saw Miles Turner get tied up a couple times in away from help situations because Cleveland was doing that and, and it's not necessarily a great part of Cleveland's game either and just start to basically something I've said about Oklahoma City's defenses try to force their players to make more decisions because that makes it more likely for them to make mistakes yeah that's not really what the Pacers do you know they are high pick and roll Victor Oladipo work off of that yeah I think one thing they really could stand to do is put Collison out there at the start of the second quarter when Oladipo is out I mean they've got Lance Corey Joseph Sabonis is only an okay shooter usually Bogdanovich is out at that time they really just don't don't quite have enough shooting and and not quite enough playmaking and, and they did get a really good lance game today uh although a really good lance game is uh 11 points on 11 field goal attempts but you know i think collison could shoot it a little bit better for them um maybe a little bit more pick and roll with him against love and see if you can just attack there get him some more open mid-rangers 
when uh Oladipo is out of the game uh you know I, you said to go to the ISO if they're going to do that I think they need to space a little bit better part of the reason Oladipo struggled was they weren't quite spaced out as much as they could have been whether that's Turner in the corner I mean I think even Turner above the break in the slot and we saw in the first half Turner has such a high release if you want to cheat off a Turner go ahead you know we'll throw it right to him and he'll just hit a spot up three because it's it's so difficult to close out on him um so that's something that they might try and do I thought they had success with the guard guard screens that they went to at the start of the third quarter which I'd been advocating for you know that's something that you can go back to as well but you know the Cavs switched up their coverage a little bit they blitzed they went conventional pick and roll defense they hedged a little bit they brought a guy over on the blitz sometimes they for to take the roll man sometimes they didn't um and I think it was a good decision by Lou down the end to just go back to conventional pick and roll defense with Oladipo not killing them the way he had earlier in the series um for Cleveland still hate Green and Nance together that unit did do well with LeBron out there with them at the start of the second especially when Oladipo was out that's when they built their lead um but the numbers on that were really poor coming into the series it was uh, or into this game it was negative 29 in 34 minutes they they're gonna look a little bit better after today but it's still the whole theory of their team is we're gonna outscore you we're not gonna allow you to get any kind of help at all um and i mean maybe just someone who can handle the ball to give a rest for lebron maybe it's rodney hood in high pick and roll where he's accomplished i mean maybe you can just say hey we're gonna we'll start the ball in lebron's hands he'll just run some dummy pick and roll swing it and have another pick and roll for rodney any hood and just you know get it, let him get to a mid-range jumper or something you know the problem is that hood just can't get to the basket quite well enough or get fouled so his shots are always going to be mid-rangers they're not that efficient but you know i think these teams pretty much have taken each other's temperature now strategically um and then i think for turner too he's got to just do a better job in help defense what would you try if you were the cavaliers do you think there's anything they can do to get love going he really struggled tonight uh two out of ten only five points the looks he got overall there were a couple of three-point opportunities he got that i thought were fine and posting up against thaddeus young just hasn't proven as fruitful as it could so no i don't think i would do too much different with love just hope that those shots are falling a little bit more than they did in game four yeah and love i mean he's really devolved into such a call seeker at this point instead of just like trying to score that uh you know for example i mean he got a foul on this one he, he got his first foul of the game by using his off arm on a post up which I, I was so glad that they called and then there was one play i forget who it was it might have been young who was fronting him the post they lob it over he's got a layup and instead of taking the layup he's concentrating on reaching behind him as he catches the ball to trap thaddeus young's arm against his body and try to get a foul call i don't it might have been someone else a smaller guard who was fronting him but and then he ended up missing the layup you know yeah he got the foul call but you just had a wide open layup if you just concentrate on that it's really you know that's the kind of thing that you'll see so concentrating on drawing a foul when you feel like you can't actually just beat the defense legitimately so i'm not sure i mean maybe it's his thumb what it is but you know he has not had a good series getting out of rhythm with foul trouble early didn't help he did have five offensive boards but wasn't really able to do much damage off of those um and uh i think that's it i, I and if, for uh the pacers more boy on less lance even though lance was was had some moments today i hope they don't fall into that trap a little bit so i think that's all i've got uh, on this one let's talk to you real quickly before we move on to celtics box about meundies easy to sell these it's the most comfortable underwear that i've ever owned it moves with you made from a sustainably sourced naturally soft fabric that is three times softer than cotton 
I've never once noticed them bunching or riding up or requiring an adjustment during the day. They really just, they're not too tight so that you feel them in that way either. It's really just incredibly comfortable underwear. They have all kinds of cool patterns or you can go pretty basic as well. You know, I, I have a buddy whose girlfriend told him, hey, you know what, like your underwear collection is not that good. You need to improve. He went to MeUndies, got, got approval <laughs> after that. My fiance seems to like them. The way you get started with them, meundies.com slash capspace is that URL. It'll get you 20% off your first pair and free shipping. They also have a 100% satisfaction guarantee as well. So you don't have to take my word for how comfortable they are. Once again, that URL, meundies.com slash capspace. Easy to remember, capspace. So we talk about it all the time on the program. Start wearing the best underwear of your life, meundies.com slash capspace. A few minutes into the third quarter of game four of the Celtics Bucks series, it looked like just a total redux of game three. Boston had absolutely nothing going whatsoever on offense. It was 65 45. The Celtics really, everything was an ISO, everything was a long two. Even their offensive rebounding that had been so good in game three wasn't really coming through as much. And then suddenly, improbably, they managed to make this a game against the Milwaukee Bucks that went right down to the end how did they do it a couple of big different things one i thought that boston's defense was way better and forcing milwaukee into tougher shots created transition opportunities boston was better able to pounce on that and also they got nice performances from their young guys jalen brown in that third quarter nine points on four or five shooting got into the lane a couple of times also hit hit a nice three and then jason tatum four of seven and for his own right and J- tatum got to the line four times and he's a, a rock solid free throw shooter they did a few things to attack the bucks switching which was nice it wasn't that systematic as far as i could tell i mean a lot of it was just i mean i mean some of the shot making that boston has had you know maybe we just didn't give enough credit to some of these guys on the roster because they have really been awesome uh you know brown in particular his second 30 point game of the series 34 points in 41 minutes his three-point shooting he's hit some deep difficult threes in this series um you know, Marcus Morris had a few, but you know, in both this game and in game one, it seemed like they were just hitting some pretty impossible shots. You know, there'd be a loose ball, a deflection, they'd pick it up, throw something up off balance and it would go in. So a lot of it was just great individual work by the Celtics. They had a couple of wrinkles. Like there was one time when Baines went to screen for Larkin. They knew Thon Maker was going to get up to the level of the screen and Baines then cut to the rim and got a dunk off of that wrong-footed Maker a little bit. Uh, they had a little bit more success at attacking maker one-on-one on switches for jumpers though i thought maker was still pretty good in this one as we'll talk about but it was much more to me the defense and that they're able to really run down the bucks throats when they got stops and what they went to was an all switching lineup they had rosier at the one then tatum brown they went brought in semi ojale who's another great switch guy and then horford at the five and the bucks i mean we know that they just get completely stagnant even in the best of circumstances a lot of times and against the switch it was all right maybe we'll get a slightly smaller guy onto Giannis and then we'll dump it into him um the Bucks tried to run pick and roll with Delhi, which was awesome in the first half he's really the one guy who's a good pick and roll ball handler on this team uh but by switching Delhi, they're able to take that totally out of things um and there really wasn't anyone on the floor who was small enough to exploit. So that was a great adjustment by Stevens to take away what they were doing with Delhi with Giannis as the role man. Um, 
and the Bucks getting shut down and then giving up transition opportunities. I mean, the Celtics had 32 points, and this is incredible. They almost doubled their score from the first half and the second half. They had 17, 18, 32, and then finally 35 points uh, in the fourth quarter, but they fell too short. Um, Let's talk a little bit about that Bucks first half, and then I want to go through every play down the end because this was a, a fascinating one oh, at the end. I thought you were going to say which two it could. You could argue it could have been because the ending of the first quarter ended up looming large. So Middleton, they got so Jabari. Oh, that actually let's that's something the, we'll the talk greatest about defensive player in Milwaukee Bucks history, Jabari Parker. Jabari, the greatest defensive player in Jabari Parker in the first half of Game Four, not not the second half of Game Four so much. But so he blocked Marcus Morris on a jump shot Middleton gets the ball and he ends up making a a nice jumper and so with with I think it was a just over a second left and so you're just saying they're going okay you know Bucks are up five at this point you know nothing nothing too earth shattering Marcus Morris basically rolls the ball I think he was rolling it to Terry Rozier but remember there's only one second left you're not going to be able to dribble dribble take a shot there it's just it's really short Della Vidova swoops in steals the ball and just throws up a flip shot and that goes in yeah that was massive uh to give them a 24 17 lead after one and that i mean two points i mean obviously you could point to any basket in the game but that one in particular a boneheaded move uh from the celtics inbounding it and delhi just a great hustle he really changed the game when he came in um Bledsoe it was a struggle for him to be sure um they were negative 10 when he was out there although you know I didn't think that De- like the switch to switching in the second half really obviated a lot of Delhi's ability uh, on the pick and roll but defensively hustling for loose balls you know I think he, he added a lot um so maybe you could say he should have been out there instead of Bledsoe but you know Bledsoe is the starter for this team and, and he actually made some pretty nice plays late in this one I mean back to Jabari though like Jabari, I Ben tweeted this out. He was kind enough to put this together during halftime because I asked him to use our intern for Tour NBA show. It was a 54 second montage of Jabari Parker defensive highlights just from the first half. And I think that that montage would eclipse a montage of his defensive highlights for his entire Bucks career <laughs> up until this point. And he, a lot of it was one on one stuff. He actually had a couple of decent help plays. Second half, he turned back into a pumpkin to some degree, although they weren't really trying him one on one. I mean, it's impossible to overstate how much of a turnstile he was one-on-one this season. But he had one play where Al Horford was being pressured up by Thon Maker full court, drove past him for a dunk, and Parker was standing right under the basket and never turned around. Another time where he just left his guy in the corner wide open for a three after as Rozier drove and kind of fell down. But, you know, those are really the only two big things I saw from him. He didn't make the impact plays. But, I mean, I think if you're a another team, you have to say, well, maybe it's possible that Parker actually could deliver something. And he was a little better in game three as well i thought even his effort in games one and two was like better than just piss poor um and and we talked about how he actually is like using his bulk a little bit and like doing something other than jumping out of the way at the first possible opportunity but that was big for the bucks in the first half maker again was huge overall even in this game and he had another five block shots in 31 minutes he he had the three-pointer working at two out of five um his mobility was fantastic he really is just getting over to challenge shots and just didn't i mean it's quite simple like he just didn't play with this level of energy and didn't have this level of quickness throughout the season and you have you know joe prunty if he would have played like this would have played him more you know we didn't you mentioned it last time that like 
we thought it was probably justified to start Tyler Zeller given how Thon had played this way but now I mean is it time to get excited about Thon again I guess we'll see how he plays the rest of these series and maybe even the rest of this playoffs um anything but yeah. I, I want to make a point on that at, at, at this juncture you know in this game Thon Maker played 31 minutes Tyler Zeller played 11 if they have even the thought that Thon is going to play that many minutes got to start him they need to start him because it's completely it's completely unfair to him to do what I, I think we've called the Miritich before which is the reverse Keith Bogans the Keith Bogans is play like five minutes and then sit which is what Tyler Zeller got it's just too much time on the court for a player who's playing with such high intensity like you want Thon to be busting his ass every single time he's on the floor and so giving him 16 consecutive minutes in two halves doesn't really work that he burns the candle at both ends it doesn't really use the stoppages very well and so maybe they're worried about oh what that does to, to, to Tyler Zeller the continuity of the rotations well you already threw your rotations out the window when you're playing your backup set or 30 minutes a game yeah and joe prunty to me seems like the type of guys like well we just won two games in a row we can't change you know and that's just like okay well now that you lost the game are you going to change in game five right like you need to win game five you need to make proactive adjustments to keep ahead uh, of brad stevens and I, you feel badly for zeller because i didn't think he played poorly he actually had two blocks and a couple of nice plays protecting there he played about as well as tyler zeller is capable of playing but he was still negative six and i think you're really better off going maker to start and then they, they did play at least Giannis at center a little bit in the second they stayed with maker just about the entire way until the very last play which we'll get to uh where they took him out uh for boston terry rozier again another really bad first half but came on slightly in the second hit a couple of pretty big threes but was two of ten from three overall um Horford was huge with a couple of drives you know they didn't go to him in the post nearly as much as they had been uh I thought that they really even could have gone to Jalen Braun even more than they did uh and then Marcus Morris really especially because he's being guarded by uh all defense Jabari Parker wasn't able to do much he was only four out of 14 um and, and they're really trying to find two just one more guy off the bench you know whether it's Ojale who actually he was probably the best of those guys in this one Yabasele who looks like he's eaten entire houses since he came to Boston uh Greg Monroe was negative eight in five minutes he did nothing in this one those post-ups that look so good for him in game two but he's been taken out of the series with just the Bucks' length and intensity Larkin was negative 14 in part because they're really able to target his size defensively yeah and a guy who wasn't a part of it who Stevens tried in game three when the Bucks just blitzed them was Greg Monroe Greg Monroe played five minutes and I think it was the first quarter at least the first half and then never really returned because there wasn't an advantage to press there Boston had tried the offensive rebound game and while they certainly did get offensive rebounds in this it wasn't necessarily by being super big it was just because the Bucks suck at defensive rebounding yeah and a lot of it really was early too uh when Baines was in he had five offensive rebounds in 19 minutes but I, I think they felt like they couldn't necessarily go back to him as small as the game was trending, especially when the Bucks finally found a way to play some real pick and roll basketball. Baines is not going to switch, even though he has been had quicker feet than expected in the series. So let's pick it up here with three minutes left. 96-90 Bucks. And this is another one of those plays where Rozier drives, fumbles it. They end up having to switch because after Rozier recovers, he pops out to the three-point line. Thon could have got out of him and a little bit more off the switch didn't it and uh uh didn't do it and rosier hit a, a pretty good three um 
to get them within three that was a huge shot for the Celtics then Malcolm Brogdon who uh I noted again I mean he just can he either shoots the ball if he's open or he's gonna dribble at least once for no reason at all and, and either try and drive and go between his legs he never can just move the ball immediately but this was actually he had a couple of nice plays lady he, he was kind of dribbled completely around the horn and then uh got a little separation from Rozier got to the basket for a layup to put the Bucks back up five uh and then it was a Thon Maker switch onto Jason Tatum who drove Maker has just been unbelievable recovering to block shots from behind when he's beaten but Horford kept alive Brown who was getting a ton of loose balls gets the offensive rebound and, and, and lays it in uh and that that was one of the only there was this long stretch where we were getting frustrated where Jalen Brown was not touching the ball and that's one way to touch the ball is just to go up there grab it your damn self and and put it in and I thought Brown he had a couple of really really nice moments offensively in this game and I think this was the first one in 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 the clutch part of this game yeah for Giannis I mean he had earlier gotten a chance to drive in from the left on Horford and I think much like we saw with Minnesota yesterday that just getting a switch and just going hard right away or even just pushing the ball up and going at your man one-on-one right away just makes such a difference as opposed to okay they're switching I want to back it out let me like must my hair and wipe the front of my jersey like LeBron could do that James Harden could do that rest of the league you better just go right away before the defense can load to you um you know or they try to like get a switch and then throw it into Giannis and he's being fronted they threw it away once on that late um and then the defense can get over there again so this time Giannis just went right at them and hits one out of two free throws the first one that Giannis missed as he struggled again from the line in this one at three out of six Horford does the cheap little like oh you're shooting I'm just going to jump up in the air trying to distract you I don't know if that had anything to do with it or not and then with it 99-95 Brown hits a ridiculous step back going to his right the step back for a right-handed shooter going to your right is really difficult this is a three he came off the left wing goes to the right side Thon switches out on him he hits a fadeaway over the seven footer step back going to his right to bring Boston with him in the one that was really the big shot where you knew that it was going to be a little bit of trouble for Milwaukee um yeah well and that continued on the next play and there were two big things I think to talk about the next play so Milwaukee took their sweet time getting into it that was a bigger problem when to me when Bledsoe was in the game and Tatum is fronting Giannis Bledsoe I thought this was a good point that was made I don't was that in this game or in a different game about trying to get the angle right passing yeah, that on that was that was Hubie talking about it uh, on the broadcast yes so Bledsoe didn't have the right angle you could make a very good argument that Tatum also fouled Giannis which went uncalled but the ball went the ball went out of bounds so then it's still nine so it's still 99 98 but Boston has the ball yeah and again they ran Tatum off a screen he was one-on-one against Middleton Milton had an awesome contest but Tatum uh, you know this is one of his skills is hitting contested two-point jumpers and he got just enough separation from the right elbow to shoot it over Milton I mean Milton was you know four inches away from blocking his shot it was like that kind of a contest uh so it was 199 and under a minute left the Bucks get a timeout basically they try to get Giannis going quickly from the left wing into the middle against Semi Ojale that uh, the timeout allowed Boston to get their defensive subs in and Ojale is strong enough that he kind of forced Giannis into a difficult floater going away from the rim and Boston tries to push it with basically like under 40 seconds left you really could run some time down I think it's like maybe 45 seconds left and Jalen 
Jalen Brown, clear foul, gets stripped by Middleton. And this is another one of those plays where having four refs would have helped. Yeah, because the basically nobody had the right angle because the players are running full speed down the floor and the refs are not as fast as the players. Yeah, it was scored a block shot for Middleton. That was with 40 seconds left. Bledsoe gets the rebound they push it up and then Bledsoe with a nice swing pass to Brogdon in the corner Brogdon has hit two huge threes in this series and that one put them up by two 102 to 100 with 33.5 remaining they had actually they put Jabari back in for offense he hadn't played as much in the second half they go back to Thonmaker and Thon did get beat off the dribble a couple times by Horford. There was a beautiful setup from Stevens. We were saying, all right, is he, he's probably going to try and get the two for one here real quickly. What's he going to do uh, to try and tie it? Or you really got to go for a three uh, on the road down two. You know, the math is just much more in your favor of going for a three than a two. Because if you tie it, I, I would have given the Bucks the advantage in overtime anyway. And the Bucks would have had a chance also to come back as we saw. But they get the two for one by an inbound to Horford. And then Horford... Thon is like oriented to try and take away his right hand, but Horford was able to just rip it through so far that he got around Thon's left foot and then was able to drive to the rim. And Thon, very lucky that Horford missed a two-handed dunk because he clocked him on the shoulder, but not really that hard. And it could have been an end one that would have given Boston the lead ultimately. Horford did make so both Horford free goes throws. To yeah. yeah, he makes both free throws. And I really liked what Prunty did there. You can have a place set, kind of set up. First of all, Boston had just called a timeout and then they had these free throws. And so they just went straight through. They didn't call a timeout. And I don't think that is the reason what happened happened, but I do think it helped. So they ran what they'd been running quite a few times. Side pick and roll with Bledsoe and Giannis. They got the switch. Giannis had a smaller defender on him, but not a much smaller defender. And he, they couldn't get the ball to him. They were fronting him. And so what Thon Maker did is what you're supposed to do if you're the opposite big guy is he sprinted to the free throw line. And you're supposed to be able to do that so you can then like dump it down high low. But the defender on Giannis did a good job of getting below him again when they threw it to Maker. And so Maker then threw it all the way to the weak side to Brogdon, set him a screen, and then he got in the lane. It was a great job by Horford recovering and contesting a very difficult hook shot, but that took one of their bigs out of position. Giannis was grappling underneath with Tatum and managed to get an awesome tip in that put the Bucks up. I mean, that's really, you know, I don't really know if you can do a better job of boxing out. That's just, you know, this guy is bigger than you. And he got a tip in with 5.1 left to give the Bucks that 104-102 lead. And then, Well, yeah. and something I want to mention with that, there were 18 credited offensive rebounds in this game. There are also probably some team ones, but I don't have that accessible. Milwaukee got two of them, and one of them was the game defined offensive rebound well and they did a nice job i think it was thon also who went to the glass because you know that boston if they get the rebound is taking a timeout they're not going to push the ball up and i i've always felt this that in the last minute of games sending more guys to the offensive glass when you know the other team is not going to go for a fast break uh can really work well you can send four guys to the offensive glass in three or at least three and a great tip by Giannis. so boston had a timeout left they advanced the ball Prunty did well to get an all-switch unit in there, and he started off with Rozier way in the backcourt, and the Bucks appeared to have some idea of what was coming because they were discussing things with Rozier. They switched around the defensive alignment a, a little bit before it was impounded. They threw an, a lob pass all the way into the opposite side of the floor to Marcus Morris, guarded by Middleton, who's a pretty good defender on that. And we questioned at the time why they didn't go for a three-pointer, why they just went to a Marcus Morris iso. But the option actually was there to get a three, and Brogdon did a great job of switching onto Rozier, sprinting out of the backcourt to take that away. 
away and that's what steven said there there was an option for a three and then morris made the right read it wasn't open went for the two took got a pretty good look but it was good defense by middleton missed it and that was game so i think this game did provide as as boston did lose it now the series is tied 2-2 it provided more of a template of how they could actually beat this attacking bucks team i mean the bucks defense was not as great as it was in game three but in the first half it was yeah in the first half it was and so boston by going to that switch approach by neutralizing what milwaukee could do offensively they were able to get more yes it took some crazy shot making and some fortunate bounces and and all that kind of stuff but boston you know it showed that they can be in the game remember they started this second half when things started turning around they started in a hole so i do think milwaukee has an advantage now just because they have found something that works but boston has two games at home and i think they have they have more hope coming out of this game than i actually expected because they played better in the second half to the extent that they're winning i'm not sure i quite agree with you as much i mean now they have been a second half team we talked about this during the broadcast of think of some of the games where they've looked so bad in the first half this season now a lot of those they had Kyrie Irving available but one in Utah they didn't necessarily uh and and then come back and really made a game of it and whether that's continuing to play hard whether that's coaching adjustments uh the Bucks did win a close one down the end here uh you know I'm not sure that there was like any out coaching that was done either way uh, on this one which is is a win for the Bucks you might say but I think this series has gone just about how you might have thought that it would beforehand the Bucks have the talent when they play with a ton of energy defensively I mean they really force the Celtics to hit extremely difficult shots and or the Bucks will have to break down and they get a bucket right I mean there's uh, um so I don't know it's impossible for me to know whether the Bucks are going to bring it whether some of these guys on Boston can keep hitting some of these shots they didn't in the first half they're just I mean it was all long twos um even now after that nice second half boston did did manage to get up 29 three-point attempts a lot of those were were in the second half uh i mean i think boston could stand to emphasize jalen brown even more you know he is not someone who's basically ever been trusted to run pick and roll in his career for whatever reason they like to bring him out of the corner not give him as many decisions to make but maybe give him a shot there especially with rosier struggling a bit more um but it's also important to remember that the milwaukee bucks are playing different players now than they were in games one and two right you know henson has been injured with this back injury and uh i probably wouldn't play him a single minute even if he were healthy in the next game um you know delhi coming in has been helpful they're not playing jason terry at all brogdon is in the starting lineup i actually think that snell gives them more than brogdon does in the starting lineup but obviously with the shots that brogdon has hit uh they'd feel differently i think snell's better defensively a little bit uh you know a guy who's not going to dominate the ball as much which brogdon has been doing too much of but you know that that's that's not really like clear cut it should be snell rather than brogdon um and then jabari has come to life too in these milwaukee games it's really a question to me of can the bucks bring it defense with the same level of intensity that they did at home buoyed by their home crowd as a young team you know can Thon Maker repeat this kind of an effort or are they going to come out with the same type of effort they had in games one and two in which case you know they're not gonna be able to stop Boston that that to me that is the end of the floor because I think the Bucks you know are pretty pretty vanilla you know they're not going to score amazingly well in this series on offense uh Giannis is going to play well Middleton it should get the ball more than he has really especially when they're doing this switching to try and get him a matchup because of the way he shot the ball you know they can't guard him on some of these isos um but to me you know the Bucks are going to score okay not amazingly well that seems to be pretty consistent it's just a question whether they can defend boston with this same type of energy that they showed and especially uh thon and jabari are you ready to move on to raptors whiz yeah let's 
start there, and uh, I mean, I, I have a place. I have a place I want to start. Oh, please, with this one. let's hear it. The Washington Wizards, per cleaning the glass, scored 0.548 points per possession in half court offense, and they won this game 106 to 98. And you remember, they only had 40 points in the first half, right? And that's because they were totally kept out of transition by Toronto, and then Toronto's transition defense. Now, granted, they had some more turnovers, but they just went to the offensive glass too much. Their bigs didn't get back. I mean, it was basically right from the start of the quarter for Lowry hits a three to put them up 14 and then it was a, a huge run 18 to 4 for the Wiz to tie it uh, mostly fueled by transition Otto Porter finally hit a couple of shots as well he just has not quite looked right after that ankle tweak and then remember he had that calf injury down the end of the year as well but this is another one of those things right where like if toronto keeps them out of transition they're gonna stop them and they're gonna win you know they're gonna score pretty well against the this wizard team they didn't as well especially i didn't really care for the lack of spacing they had in some of their units down the end um but if they can't keep the the wizards out of transition then the wizards are probably gonna outscore them and, and another little kind of proxy you can use for that, I thought John Wall's shot chart in this game was was interesting. He certainly does a lot of damage as a passer. That that was true in this game. 14 assists, only four turnovers. But as a sh- so six of 11 in the restricted area, that's a lot of attempts. One of three, paint non-restricted. Three of nine from mid-range, and then missed is only three. And so Wall, that means that the 11 shots at the rim were central to his offensive success as a score. Yeah, because he didn't have it going... Uh- as he had with the four of eight for mid-range in game three but he did enough and the fast breaks really fuel his game i mean he had a, a couple of dunks in transition a big layup as well the, also really the only way that the wizards are going to get threes seems to be in transition they only were one out of three from three in the first half it's just such a low number um what else stuck out to you from the second half as when the Wizards made their comeback? Oh, what I was going to say was something after they made their comeback. Oh, but no, that's fine. Go ahead. Bradley Beal's foul trouble was big in this game at a couple different points. One of them, his fourth foul was completely stupid on his part. It was uh, a, basically a, a miss by the Wizards. I can't remember who missed the shot. Might have been Otto Porter. And it was one that you would assume the other team would get, but it just kind of bounced a little bit far. So Beal goes over to it, but by the point he reacted there were like three Raptors over there. So he just runs through Serge Ibaka and, you know, every once in a while a guy has a brain fart foul, but then that was Beal's fourth foul and this is in the third quarter. And then he goes completely ballistic when Scotty Brooks takes him out of the game. And that foul ended up really mattering and Beal ended up, he got his fifth pretty early in the fourth quarter on a charge play where I actually thought the initial foul was related to a, a, a tangle between Jakob Pertl and Marcy Gortat, but they ended up calling a, a charge Beal and Kyle Lowry drew the charge so then he's playing then the rest of the fourth quarter with five fouls and gets called for an i was gonna say extremely dubious but i think just normal dubious sixth foul you could see how maybe there was contact as derozan was going for a loose ball beal just happened to be standing there and beal in an attempt because he you could see in just a few possessions before that he was just like trying so hard to not commit a foul and so what he does is in his attempt to try to keep his hands away from derozan and lift his arms away ends up barely hitting DeRozan DeRozan exaggerates it by going down and because he was and Beal just never moved right it was it was a little bit of contact with the arm 
he was just standing still and they called the foul on him and Beal went completely ballistic I totally understand that it was just know that the guy has six fouls and it's also I mean that's also a play that like you know it's not affecting anything right like okay if you're if it's a dubious foul and the guy goes to the rim and he blocks the shot and, and he would have had a layup it's taking away okay you know DeRozan went down but he still had his dribble it wouldn't have been a turnover I think they probably just called it really early but it's just like as a referee know the situation just a little bit you know just be like and I'm not saying hey let's overlook an obvious foul to me it's just like just please be damn sure when it's the guy's sixth foul and he's an important player um but again you know i, yeah. I see it, i see it from a different way i i don't focus as much on that to me if it's a foul it's a foul well i didn't but think it was a foul either beal yeah and, and that's where i was going to go with it beal I, I like to think of fouls as kind of like what action did that player take and what impact did it have beal was just standing there he was it was wrong place wrong time and derozan pretty much runs in him and derozan did not start that action with the ball in his hand he was running to grab a rebound and so like what it what why did he have a right to that position that Bradley Beal had when he had not secured the ball yet and so for me that's a no call and you keep on moving whether Bradley Beal has one foul or he has five now it ended up not mattering of course because the the whiz did take it um for the Raptors Fred Van Vliet troubling news for him with that shoulder he played three minutes of course in game two he says that he can shoot okay but his range of motion is limited on uh, pretty much everything else um and that it could it be subject to re-injury for the next four to six weeks essentially and so that doesn't sound great it doesn't sound like he's necessarily going to be returning soon you know maybe if they get into a desperate situation but then you know if he's going to be limited is Casey going to trust him now I don't think they've missed him as much as some people have said because they're just playing Kyle Lowry more minutes now and he plays the role that Van Viet was playing and Kyle Lowry is still better than Van Vliet but it is nice for them to have someone who can take a little bit of the pressure off for sure well there's a there's another big reason why i think they're missing him and we saw it in the fourth quarter that now Dwayne casey has to figure out who his fifth guy is and that should have to me been a small boston or sorry not boston toronto needed more offense on the floor instead they went with yaka purtle purtle played a fine game i i disagree i thought he, i thought right he was guy. actually really bad in this one I, I thought he could have been like especially his his decisions to go for offensive rebounds and then failure to sprint back uh i thought really hurt their transition game a lot well i'm talking about more in the first three quarters okay. i thought he did a pretty nice job in the first three quarters was you know battling for it but that was more the second unit yaka Pertle, not closing the game yaka Pertle. yeah and i think they wanted him out there for some pick and roll defense to me i probably would have tried to go with the Ibaka at the five but i mean a lot of the same old raps you know down the end it was some tough shots DeRozan, in particular tried to go for a three-pointer a step back three in the corner that was just an awful shot he got a little bit three happy uh but you know i guess that's better than the long two happy that he's been uh, at other times in his career but you know wasn't able to really generate great looks i thought he got to the room well in the first quarter when he took fell or 12 free throws and didn't have a single field goal but you know it wasn't really the greatest game for him especially when he wasn't able to get all the way to the rim um he he hit one big three late when they went under on him but uh, ultimately you know too many transition points for uh, the whiz and it ended up being a 106-98 win for the Wizards. Wall did just enough. Beal had 31 points in 32 minutes. Uh, he was 5 of 7 from 3, hitting 5 of the Wizards' 7 made 3s. Uh, was just a huge performance from him. And then on the other side, Lowry hit 4 of the Raptors' 7 made 3s. 
DeRozan, though, finished 10 out of 29. He had 35 points, but it wasn't really a particularly efficient. And then the turnovers as well, with the Raps 18 turnovers, that's what fueled the transition as well. And usually, you know, the Raps have always been a low turnover team, but DeRozan had four. Ibaka, who should never have four turnovers considering what his role is, he he really had seven points in this one. He was awesome in those first two games in Toronto, and he scored, I think, a combined total of 10 points in the two games in Washington. So the offense was not quite there for the Raps when they were in Washington and uh making things worse was Ananobi spraining his ankle at the end of the first half and then he looked to be a little compromised couldn't get around a screen in the third he never came back in the game so no Van Vliet uh no Ananobi maybe he'll he'll be better for the next game but uh you know they're gonna need him he was already playing more minutes uh, as well and so this Raptors depth they've really been outplayed by uh, the Wizards bench in this series a couple other notes to make the Wizards played a lot of this game the second unit minutes and even some more first unit minutes without a traditional center they went with that Mar- Mike Scott Markeith Morris front court at one point when they started flailing that was when the Raptors I think around when the Raptors pushed out to that 11 point lead we'll see how that works moving forward but I also want to mention my favorite sequence of this game was John Wall was was driving in transition DeLon Wright just blocked his shot one of the best blocks I've seen from DeLon Wright who was a talented defensive player then Siakam had worked hard to get back in transition he blocks on the follow-up I can't remember who took that shot and then he wrote runs down the floor the other way and he's lining up Yamahimi who only played eight minutes in this game and does I referred to it as a quick dunk because he just he basically didn't use the normal cadence and so he got he got it past Mahimi in a way that you would normally see a smaller guy do and I thought it was just an absolutely beautiful combination of hustle plays by what is still the Raptors bench yeah we used to call that uh, a poke uh, on the playground when you just get it up real quick over the guy before he can react um but where do these teams go from here now uh, it's just it's back to Toronto it's going to be a nervous Toronto crowd we thought that maybe uh, the Raptors you know had kind of solved this they're doing taking care of business one verse eight now that is no longer uh, the case and the Raptors are definitely quite capable of losing games in this series uh, uh that is quite true and I think they really what they need to do is they got to go out and set the tone defensively like they have a better defense than the Wizards do and as long as they can again keep them out of transition they should be all right in in this series because the Wizards shouldn't be able to score on them in the half court but you know if you're going to give up this much in transition they can lose any of these games what I kept thinking about during the fourth quarter of this game was this idea that Malcolm Gladwell has articulated of David strategies and so there are certain things that you should do when you are an underdog to give yourself the best chance to win and what was so weird about this game was Toronto was doing some of those even though they're the better team they were going for too much for offensive rebounds they were every once while they were gambling they had some weird offensive possessions where they were like trying to draw fouls all that kind of stuff and you're better than them just trust that you're better than the other team yeah it's just a question of you know are they really right I mean, it's uh well oh and one other thing for the wizards that i want to mention i've been increasingly frustrated that in the early games of the series when the wizards were looking to find something ty lawson was out playing thomas sadaransky and so yeah you go with that you know best chance to win lawson was not particularly good in this game sadaransky only played six minutes considering the way that the offense looked with him and, and sadaransky being a better basketball player than Ty Lawson at this point, Scotty Brooks has to go back in that. 
that direction yeah i think the biggest reason that they like lawson is the pace um and lawson does look better offensively after having spent that time in china i think that he's you know learned how to attack and shoot and try and score again he's maybe a little aggressive with that but i think that's the biggest reason is they really want to push the ball that's not quite as much sadaransky's game and you have to guard lawson now sadaransky of course is world's better defensively but maybe they feel it's not as important especially with the raptors going smaller and some of their second units you know i think that the raps do need to get more out of siakam and it'll be hopefully can play but i think you know doing some more switching as well might be a way to go um when the wizards were big gortat was plus 14 in this game and the raps can get enticed by maybe the siren song of some of these offensive rebounds when they have their bigs in there i still would like to see maybe more switching more speed get back on defense be able to match up in transition even if you're not on your own man as well so you're not having miscommunications trying to get back to your guy uh so more siakam more ananobi if they could do it uh maybe ibaka at center possibly dust off norman powell maybe not um but uh, i'm not sure that the centers are quite giving them enough here um when you consider their slowness in transition defense but you know i, I don't really have a, a huge panacea for the raptors here uh the ball movement certainly slowed down i mean they were under a point per possession basically in this game pretty close to that you know and this is not a good wizards defense they should be able to do better against them but you know it was just the derozan show in this game i mean derozan had 38 shooting possessions in this game you know and DeRozan is not a guy who gets the ball in rhythm if he's going to shoot that much it means that they're not moving the ball enough and you know chicken or egg is it not moving the ball enough and that's why he has to take those shots or he's taking those shots uh and preventing the ball from moving you never know but that much DeRozan is going to be too much he's not going to be able to be efficient on that level of volume I don't think all right we'll finish up with Saturday's games here in a moment first though this from Indochinos who will be outfitting me and my groomsmen for my wedding and with the relationship that we have with Indochino, there's really only one way to go because I want to look awesome. I'm actually going to get a tux. I want my groomsmen to look awesome. They're all different size guys, and I want them to all have a custom suit that's going to fit them. That's why Indochino is the only place. They are the largest custom apparel company, period. There is a period at the end of that sentence. They are the largest custom apparel company. And you can either go into one of their many North American showrooms, which is, they've got in a lot of NBA markets now. Most big cities will have it. You can get your measurements done there. Check out all their fabrics in person. That's really cool to see what they have. I and mean, you can get a suit in literally hundreds of fabrics. Uh, you can personalize all the details too. If you want the lapel size, their linings look really cool. You can get a, a suit that has an awesome lining. That's always kind of cool when you take off your suit jacket and it's got a, a little bit of flair in the lining. Put a monogram on there if you want to. And if you're not in a city that has an industry showroom, you can do your measurements. They actually have a tutorial on how to do your measurements. Send them in and eight, three weeks or less, your custom suit will arrive. So if you were to go to a department store and buy a suit off the rack and have them tailor it and have it not fit as well as an Indochino suit, of course, you're probably looking at pretty close to three weeks anyway. That's usually what it seems like uh, when I get it done. They always seem to have a backlog at those places. Although maybe not now because Indochino exists and it's better than those places. The way to get started with them, Indochino.com. Enter that cap space code. You get $379 premium Indochino suit. 50% off the regular price for a premium made to measure suit. Your shipping is free. That's Indochino.com. That familiar cap space code to let them know that you came from us and you get it for 379 and free shipping indochino.com promo code capspace 
Let's turn now to Saturday's games, and we're actually recording this Saturday night. So I think the place to start is with the game that we just watched. We did the entire thing for the Twitter NBA show. Utah destroying OKC in this one. It was a 20-point game with five minutes left after OKC had a 12-point lead in the second quarter. A game of runs, but Utah had put it together more than OKC did. What was your initial impression of this game? Well, early on, Utah was fortunate to stay in it because I thought a lot of the shots they were taking were unsustainable. Those Ricky Rubio twos, he was something like six for six inside the arc in the first half. And then Jay Crowder had a couple of weird off the dribble twos, but then they just started getting way better shots in the second half. And a big part of that was Stephen Adams being in foul trouble. He picked up his fourth foul in the pretty early in the third quarter. And while there were some really nice wrinkles that Billy Donovan been put in the rotation to get Rudy Gobert off his game. I thought we started seeing the trade-offs the other way because not only was Utah driving pretty aggressively, but they were getting a lot from from the help that was generated by those aggressive drives. And so that was part of what keyed Ingles into three. But then there were also some weird tactical decisions that OKC made in terms of who they were choosing to leave open. Yeah, that was true. I I thought the big cat and mouse game tactically, there were two of them in this. And certainly, Rubio his triple double we'll talk about that I thought that Gobert in 41 minutes which is just massive for a a big man uh he was huge he scored a lot of points and just completely shut off anything that the Thunder were getting trying to drive to the basket uh but the thing that I noticed right away when Utah first surged out to a nice I think it was a 20 to 12 lead was OKC bringing a ton of help over to take away the roll man they were putting two on the ball in the pick and roll bring another guy all the way over from the weak side corner to try and take away the roll man and that was just leaving the weak side corner wide open and so one time they ended up fouling the roll man with Peru another time Rubio saw it coming and threw a skip pass to Ingles who's a great shooter for a corner three and then another time the roll man was able to just get it to the corner for a wide open corner three that was Mitchell and Ingles and they're really attacking Rubio who is not you know the greatest scorer putting two on the ball on Rubio seemed a little bit overstated and so i don't know that they went away from that too much they had success with it in the second quarter when mitchell was handling the ball more uh but they avoided giving up quite as many open looks right away and then that coincided with okc going to patrick patterson they took steven adams out after only four minutes he wasn't in foul trouble at least as of that point they took him out after only four minutes and went with patrick patterson at the five mellow at the four and patterson hit two three-pointers and really got into gobert's head and then they were able to attack the rim uh during a nice okc run to for them to take a lead and we saw benefits from for the thunder from that even after patterson those two threes he hit in the first quarter were the only ones he hit in the entire game but gobert was just so much more cognizant of that threat and so there were plays where gobert couldn't get over and affect the shot as much as he could when steven adams was in the game i also thought that in the first half and this this swung a little bit with steven adams but i thought utah got a pretty rough whistle in that first half especially the first quarter and that that kind of helped sap some of that momentum. You talked about the early run. It was 2012 or something like that that they were on. And they were, you know, there were guys that just got out of, I thought Mitchell got kind of got out of rhythm because of that. Jay Crowder, I know, got at least one rough call. And Utah was not as dominant on the offensive glass as they were in game two. Yeah. That was a huge part of what swung they, that game. They typically but are they not, still, you know, they, they t- it's not usually right. what they do, even when they play with the two big. Right. And so those two bigs did combine for eight offensive rebounds in this game. And 
and some of their best looks were off of those those kinds of broken play opportunities, whether created by an offensive rebound or just by somebody on the Thunder losing their guy. Sometimes that was Russ losing Rubio or just not guarding Rubio in the first place. Yeah, and Rubio, I mean, it wasn't really the three-pointer, though he hit that one crazy one-legged one at the end of the third quarter after another offensive rebound. And I thought actually because Adams was out of the game, and the Jazz even were able to stay big with Favors and Gobert together when they had Grant in, and Patterson there, or Patterson and Mello, those type of front courts. And they did end up with actually 33% offensive rebounds, which would have been a league-leading number this season. Um, and OKC has always struggled this season on the defensive glass when Adams is out of the game. And so I thought that was important. Neither team really won the turnover battle. They both coughed it up quite a bit. The defense was very intense. I thought that, again, George was really taking Ingles out of it as a ball handler and so they really decided you know we're gonna not gonna have him handle the ball very much unless George is out of the game and then we'll put him on the weak side that's our best shooter they're gonna leave him on these pick and rolls and then we'll find him and Ingles ended up with five three-pointers in this game ultimately and I mean what's got to be most disheartening for the Thunder they shot the ball well in this game you know this wasn't hey we're not making shots at least from three-pointers or 14 out of 28 but they were absolutely broke from mid-range and then they only got 21 shots at the room which basically would be a league low number this is a team with russell westbrook Stephen adams on the offensive glass that really gets to the basket and rudy gobert only was credited with one block but he had a ton of intimidations forcing misses and then also guys just weren't trying him anymore and i thought that the thunder then were forced into a ton of mid-range shots and they were totally unable to hit those shots you know i think they were under i want to say they're under 35 percent on twos outside the restricted area yeah the actual number was was 15 or sorry five out of 17 so yeah under 30 percent and a couple more of those fall this game could feel a little bit different but that's what Rudy Gobert brings the idea of him being both the pick for both of us from defensive player of the year is not necessarily about blocking shots so that certainly can help it is scaring guys off of the shots that are the most efficient in the game and I mean Oklahoma City as you said they hit their threes in this game but they weren't able to get that efficiency and I thought Russell Westbrook he was a little bit intimidated by Gobert on some of his drives. This was actually something paralleling another game on Sunday, though it wasn't as strong an example for Lillard on Sunday. But these point guards that have made their hay all year, driving and, and finishing, Russ especially in transition, facing higher end defense than you get game by game in the regular season, and not being able to bring that facet as reliably as they did in March or December. Yeah, well, and you can also throw in the fact that Portland, OKC, don't really have a, a ton of spacing right and there's really there's no one and, and russ himself is not a guy who can take the three reliably off the dribble to draw gobert away from the rim they don't have a great pick and pop option who can do that they patterson they was messing with him initially and i'm not sure what it was exactly i don't think utah really did a ton to adjust there um but uh, i thought that okc put patterson more in the corners which was not great i thought he he's better above the break it's harder to help at the rim off of an above the break than when it guys in the corner both because it's a shorter distance and also just because you're you've got kind of the corner being on the weak side a lot of times it's just a harder pass to get there so you feel more comfortable helping off of there um i thought the jazz when they switched favors and gobert when they got stuck in late switches russell westbrook paul george weren't really able to do much on those switches uh which was a another thing and then so okc's offense if they only hit 14 out of 28 threes it's really ugly and then they just couldn't stop utah and this is a jazz team that yeah you know they can shoot well from three at times and they finished up 
13 out of 34 which is a lot of attempts 38 percent but that's not a back-breaking amount but when you throw in the offensive rebounds um you throw in a fair amount of fast breaks Utah actually out fast broke the thunder which the thunder a great fast break team utah really slows it down uh utah had 12 steals in this game a lot of those were just because of gobert's presence right guys drove into the lane usually if you're in rhythm you're able to take that shot and you also throw in the fact that russ really doesn't have a floater game um which is a problem and he doesn't have a ton of touch if he can't get all the way to the rim if he's uh, and he really was throwing up some bricks on these layups on some of these mid-range shots and uh that was a problem his quote after the game he, he had two interesting ones one of which we'll get to momentarily but the the first one that i thought was interesting was that in the pick and roll he's just got to take what's given he said he's getting himself in trouble jumping in the air trying to look back and find p paul georgia and mellow and other guys in the floor so he's getting into mid-range jumping in there then trying to look back out to the three-point line and find them says he's got to stay in attack mode and read his first option and go with that so maybe we'll see him be more aggressive with the mid-ranger but the mid-ranger has not fallen for him should i read the other one? Oh, please talking about ricky rubio russell westbrook he made some shots too comfortable i'm gonna shut that shit off next game though guarantee that that's really interesting yeah, yeah russ hasn't really he hasn't really been that guy in and i mean think about the offensive load that he's that he's taking on and it's very rare group of people that even if they're engaged can do that and i just don't see russ having that fastball in his in there well it's interesting because i think a lot of what rubio w- was able to do was off of initially penetration by others where they loaded the defense and then he, they passed rubio who they were leaving open and, and rubio you know it, it was two of nine from three for him but he was nine of 18 he also got six of seven uh from the free throw line and a lot of it was just mid-rangers from rubio and guess what like i think you got to just be okay with that he's not getting to the rim he's only one out of two at the rim he's five out of five for mid-range and so now a lot of the problem was russ was being asked to help out in the lane on other pick and rolls and then having to close out on rubio and rubio hitting some really tough shots and now if you're going to change russell westbrook to just stick with rubio i'm sure if he just doesn't help at all he just stays on rubio he could prevent ricky rubio from scoring i don't think that'll be a problem but then where is he going to be in terms of his help responsibilities i also thought there are a number of plays where he didn't get back on defense made some mistakes uh, as far as you know like he's got a habit of let's say he drives in misses the layup and rudy gobert contests the layup and now gobert is behind the play he's outlet the ball and russ is jogging back and he's like oh there's another guy next to me i don't need to really hustle back it's only four on four down there but you're totally screwing up the matchups like you're not supposed to guard rudy gobert you need to get back so you can match up with your guy and and also just four on four is easier to score than five on five uh, because you've got more space on the floor and so he would just kind of saunter along with ruby or with uh rudy gobert and then just never get back and the jazz would score they might get an offensive rebound or you know and clearly he has a huge offensive load to be sure you know they're asking a lot for him but whether it's complaining to the refs or jogging back or whatever whatever he's doing offensively getting back on defense is just the number one thing that you have to do in basketball otherwise your team is going to get scored on um so that was a disappointment for me i guess shouldn't say disappointment because it's something that he does but it was uh something that i thought he could really improve on a carryover to a point from game two was how much harder paul george had to work for his shots i thought he did some really impressive things offensively there was this one play where he snaked an adams pick and roll and then got his footwork all the way back and they switched the pick and roll so gobert was on him and he paul george got all the way back above the break and took a three basically from the top of the key and just drilled it over gobert clearing that space and i didn't know he had that in his game and there were a couple other ones and you could take that as a positive 
positive for OKC that he that Paul George has this skill, but you know it sapped some of his efficiency. He was still better than better than game two, I believe. But three of eight from three, seven to sixteen from the field, and really made up for some of that from the line. And he did a. I thought Paul George had a very good game. I thought he was the best member of the Thunder in this one. But the harder he has to work, then it it, it just brings other challenges. Yeah, clearly, I think for the Thunder, you know, they just have to get more minutes out of Stephen Adams. Stephen Adams, he's committing these fouls. You know, there's a. I don't think he's getting a rough whistle. I mean, he had one where he just basically like bridged under Gobert as he was trying to step up. I think that was his fourth. And then he is he plays a physical brand of ball. Uh, but you know, I, I didn't really disagree with any of the calls uh, against him. And you know, when he is out, the pick and roll totally changes. Not being able to get any offensive rebounds for the Thunder that becomes an issue as well. Um, you know, I thought actually Mello played pretty well offensively. He had 14 points uh, on only 10 shooting possessions in this game. He had the, the three ball going. Uh, he even had some success in ISOs, which he hasn't had all year. He drove past favors for a nice dunk. So, I mean, maybe you can try and like give Paul George and Westbrook a little bit of a rest by going to Carmelo or maybe some Carmelo pick and pops. It could be something you could look at as well. Maybe even it's a two point pick and pop is not the end of the world. But uh, with Gobert back there, I mean, they really have not been able to solve that at all, uh, especially uh, when Adams, I think, you know, really kind of tires him out a little bit. And Gobert, you know, we talked about this with Victor, Victor Oladipo yesterday. Gobert had a pretty good statistical line. He had five offensive boards and 18 points, but the only one block, you'd be like, oh, you know, he didn't play a great defensive game. But I mean, if you're watching him, they are just so scared to challenge him. And I joked uh, in the first quarter, like, oh, well, I guess he's not a top 10 player if Patrick Patterson can take him out of the game. But after that, really, they they're able to be effective um anything else you wanted to say on this one one name we haven't said very much in this is donovan mitchell yeah. i thought he was he was kind of off it especially early on had a couple of turnovers that seemed correctable missed a few shots and then overall he he got a little bit more into it hit a big three as as utah was salting away but this was not donovan mitchell reliant as much as i expected partially rubio had so much of a better offensive game and utah was able to get it from other guys favors didn't take many shots but was efficient when he got there and it is good for Utah that they can win a game without Donovan Mitchell being the guy who has to carry them over the finish line. Yeah, and I thought a lot of the Thunder adjustments to really be so aggressive in pick and roll were to take away Mitchell. And that it makes more sense to me if you're going to take away Mitchell and Rubio is also on the floor, you have to make him throw it to Rubio. And Rubio did attack, but you know Mitchell wasn't able to get to the rim as much in this game. Most of his efficiency came from four out of seven for three. He had a couple off the bounce, which is always encouraging for him. But he had five turnovers it wasn't his best game got into foul trouble as well in the third quarter they actually made their run in the third quarter uh, when Mitchell went out of the game late in that quarter I thought Jay Crowder uh, although he was negative 11 I thought he had a really nice defensive second half uh Exum came in had a, a couple of nice passes to Gobert after he, he really wasn't any good in the first half and Royce O'Neal gave them something as well and, and, but another thing I wanted to talk about is just continuing to be able to play favors and Gobert together I mean when those two guys are out there these guys are the jazz are just really difficult to score on and then you can throw out a crowder and an o'neill and exum is pretty good defensively mitchell is good defensively rubio is a great defensive player ingles is solid i mean there's really there's nowhere to in particular to attack if you're the thunder you know they tried a few plays to just get ingles guarding russ you know they would run a pick and roll with george and russ and then adams would step up and set the 
screen but even then you know Ingles is fine and Russ with Gobert back there wasn't able to get much out of those plays either so I'm not sure exactly where the Thunder go from here do you have any thoughts on that it's hard because so many of the things that Oklahoma City is struggling with are just a part of it you know we could have a whole conversation about Russell Westbrook's shot selection but that's baked into the cake at this point and I I wish he would be a little I I wish he had a little bit less faith to a point in his in his early shot pull-ups I I didn't think he took that many bad shots today though well he took a couple and I think it also disengages to a point some of the other guys just you know he some of the ones on Gobert he's just like yeah I can shoot this 20 footer and it it wasn't you know he was 5 of 17 from the field I wouldn't say anything close to a majority of those but I think trimming the fat a little bit would help but also he had some so he talked about getting getting up in the air and you know making some mistakes yeah it was the eight turnovers I thought that killed them much more than his ability to Uh, score and so yeah I don't have a ton of a ton of adjustments and Melo wasn't exploited as much defensively to me in this game that is damning with faint praise because he was just awful in I think that was game two where he was getting smoked more often but so and and I don't think they can you know as much as I would would have enjoyed seeing Jeremy Grant in some of those lineups I thought Melo played a pretty good game here and they needed his offense because they just didn't have as many reliable other sources of points yeah Mitchell did hit the J over him late as they started to go into their mellow package offensively where they target him uh but then the game was pretty much over so they didn't have to do that too much and they backed off of it um I mean I think that for the Thunder other than Adams staying out of foul trouble trying to re-emphasize the fast break would help you know they weren't really that efficient even when they were able to get out on the on the break I think maybe more of Paul George coming off of pin downs with uh but they don't have anyone who can set a screen on this team other than Steven Adams right yeah you know, but maybe to just get Paul George a, a mid-ranger could be useful you know it's it's rough because Westbrook is can't do anything off the ball so you really can't change up your looks very much I mean I think the the mellow pick and pop is something I might look at but even when the Jazz were switching you know or got stuck in switches they weren't able to do much in this game and they're not going to shoot 50% on threes very likely in the next game so I'm not really sure where they go from here I think really they're not going to score that efficiently against Utah I mean I think uh Russ Adams pick and rolls is their best option especially when they're able to clear out a side and get a little more space they had success with that but then you know Adams just hasn't been on the floor enough Uh, defensively I think I might switch more stuff see what they can do there they tried that for a brief period in game two especially when favors is off the floor like he's really the guy who wants to get deep post-up position uh, against a switch and so you know if you want to post up rudy gobert be my guess i I think maybe he's trying to switch defensively might be it because this over attacking they did force a lot of turnovers but you can't give joe ingles wide open threes for the jazz i mean i think you need to make the utah jazz beat you one-on-one they really only have one player who is capable of doing that maybe favors on a post-up although that has not been his strength this year he's, he's not the post-up player he used to be that that would be my advice and they have they have enough size to do that i mean brewer can't really do it but most of the rest of their guys can maybe you minimize him maybe you even uh you know try to play patterson some more with steven adams you know patterson's a guy who's capable of switching grant just get some more length and intensity out there 
shall we move on to the rest of saturday i i think we did a pretty good job choosing for the the twitter nba show because the second best game was the other game we did in full philadelphia miami this was a really crazy game for a lot of different reasons but i think the place i want to start here is a little bit of a snapshot of where this game was at the at the end of the third quarter and so philly turned the ball over in the first three quarters on 28 percent of their possessions they had 24 turnovers and 20 fouls miami also turned the ball over a bunch too and so the sixers were i think they were down five at that point if memory serves and one of the big questions was basically like well if this continues obviously they're going to lose but being that close can they clean it up enough to win a game that they should not have won yeah i thought the end of the third quarter was key they had so many turnovers uh it was actually a four-point game 83 79 at the third quarter break but they were able to get back within four in large part due to the efforts of Ursan Ilyasova. He hit a huge three. Uh, the Heat were playing pretty small and Ilyasova was able to get some offensive rebounds. That's something he was very good at earlier in his career. That's waned as he's gravitated more towards the perimeter and the league is generally a shoot offensive rebounds more. I thought he played a, a pretty nice game. Um, and for Miami, we saw them get shut down late again by Joel Embiid just being a, a total monster. Embiid was utterly miserable for most of the game on the offensive end with eight turnovers and two of 11 although he did get his usual over 10 free throw attempts but he was just blocking everything late and the heat couldn't get inside they tried going to a small lineup they really they felt like they couldn't play a Linux against Embiid. i guess they had to go back to white side um and ultimately just couldn't score quite well enough they tried to get Dwayne wade and dragic playing together and wade actually had 25 points uh took 22 shots in 26 minutes but ultimately they just couldn't score well enough on, on the end and they had 19 points in the fourth quarter and that was that was the game for a philly team that you mentioned 26 turnovers they finished with and seven out of 31 from three but the offensive rebounds and the defense down the end is what killed miami something i thought was going to swing the game more than it actually did was late in the second quarter joel Embiid dove pretty amazing hustle play just dove for a ball that was on the ground but between three different members of the Heat and Josh Richardson kind of involved in that play got had an injured shoulder and he went to the locker room at that point so we were worried because he had played such a masterful defensive game to that point that maybe he'd be out and we wanted to see of course see these teams at full strength but fortunately it wasn't that severe and after the game was reported that he has a sprained AC joint in his left shoulder but he does plan to play in game five which will be on Tuesday and Richardson especially at the start of the third came out just unbelievable Unbelievable. I think he had like three steals right at the start of the third. He finished the game with seven steals and seven assists. And the Heat had 18 steals you know they were just stealing it from philly like it wasn't even and making some really nice plays you know it wasn't necessarily philly just making awful decisions though that certainly was part of it particularly in Embiid's case you know they intercepted like three or four of those ben simmons passes that he throws a million miles an hour on on fast breaks they were really aware of that it was a great defensive performance by the heat i thought for a lot of the game and it was also a crazy pace in this one at at halftime it was 59 possessions that's like 1960s era pace 118 possessions a game but things really slowed down in the second half and miami only put up 41 points as but you know the pace also was a lot slower 
I mean, I thought Miami just did everything they could. They played absolutely as hard as they could in this one. Dragic uh, had some moments where he was masterful. He also had four steals himself. I thought they maybe could have gotten to him a little bit more than Wade down the stretch. But when you're playing those two guys together, it's tough because if you put it in Dragic's hands, then Wade, you don't have to guard him. Wade did have one of those like Heatles era ghost cuts along the baseline for a layup, but generally you don't have to stick him. And, you know, Justice Winslow came back to earth three point shooting, and it was indicative to me of how poorly the Heat off offense was running because they only got up 19 three-point attempts they were seven out of 19 and this is a team that likes to take a lot of threes they have good three-point shooters when they're open and philly really especially with Embiid at the rim was able to shut off those threes because they weren't getting the penetration forcing the emergency help and then the last thing i'll say about philly too was it was a similar script to game three in that robert covington got into foul trouble in the third miami went up covington comes back in the fourth and all of a sudden uh miami couldn't score covington is really just a a fantastic defensive player in his own right something else to mention about this game Miami missed a ton of free throws they were 13 of 25 Goran Dragic I think he missed the first two of the game and he ended up one for four no player other than Wayne Ellington who only took one shot on the on the heat was perfect from the line they had a lot a lot of big misses Justice Winslow missed two Wade had a big miss late too and he could have he could have cut it to one uh and then at least they could have just fouled and had a chance to tie it as it turned out they never had a chance to tie it late uh they went for a quick two and then yeah they went for maybe even the worst quick two of the postseason as well at the end there with richardson yeah when they were down four when they were down with four no and, timeouts and, and of course he didn't even make it right like this was this wasn't even like the quick two oh you're wide open no time comes off the clock like he had to spin back and forth yeah, like a couple of times oh god i mean it was really like just shoot a three you have like it's not going to work unless you shoot a three and, and they never even passed the ball outside the arc like I think they threw it to him like you know at the free throw line and had him attack from there one quick stat I want to mention because I looked it up while we were recording Josh Richardson's seven assists and seven steals that's only the 15th time in the playoffs that that anybody's ever done that it's a, a very strange list of guys but I'm not going to go through the whole thing the only guys to do it twice ever are Rick Barry and Tim Hardaway but it is a pretty remarkable accomplishment for Richardson to do that and I mean as an assist guy but one other thing I wanted to mention was Ben Simmons largely was not involved in Philly's offense with any regularity in the last three to four minutes, except with one glaring exception, the dunk that really did, it It didn't seal the game, but it it, it ended up kind of doing that when Miami never got back within a single possession. It was yeah, the they had probably their most success offensively with Redick screening for Simmons basically as close to the free throw line as they could get, and then having Redick pop out to three. I mean, that's just, other than switching that, I'm not sure how you guard that, and then you've got Ben Simmons guarded by a smaller player pretty close to the rim already I mean I thought the Heat were ready for a lot of their stuff like Philly loves to run these snug pick and rolls from the side or they'll even have you know Reddick come and screen for Embiid to try to dribble the rim and like Miami was so physical they just took them took them right out of that like the guy couldn't even come off the screen uh I thought they overall played defense pretty well uh Embiid this is not the team for him to be trying to come back and do all this off the dribble shit against because guys like Richardson and Winslow like they're gonna just dig down and just take your dribble away and that happened a ton of times like he'll take one dribble and it's just so slow that the ball leaves his hands and by the time it gets back someone is dug down from the wing and can just knock it away you know against maybe some other teams that works I thought that Embiid maybe he was too fatigued but he's really had the size advantage most of the time when he wasn't being guarded by Whiteside and you know he's just got to focus on getting bigger getting into good position like I think his just his jump hook game could really be a 
a little bit better and he he loves to face the basket it's more fun to face the basket you feel like a guard you feel like you can face up he didn't have the face up jumper working in this one which he usually does but uh i think i find that that's the case a lot of times for the guys who come back from injury it's like the first game your adrenaline is pumping you're really fired up you've been waiting for this for months and then you know you might play pretty well and then or weeks in Embiid's case and then the second game you're out of condition so you're pretty sore you're pretty exhausted the next game's in a couple of days you're not fully recovered and you can struggle but uh, and the other team is in the playoffs has time to adjust to you but it was really still enough dominance from Embiid defensively in the fourth quarter that it didn't really matter much we should also talk about I think that was the last basket that that Philly made from the field on that beautiful play where Embiid popped popped Redick out into the corner and it looked like Miami expected Redick to to cut towards the basket and there actually probably would have been a passing angle there but just completely sealed it and Redick ended up being not taking a three but it was a two and still a a vastly important yeah and that was out of a timeout Uh, Brett Braun took a timeout I think to just make sure that they got a good one there with I think it was about maybe 40 seconds left they were up two and the play was for Redick to come up from the top and then get a quick DHO going to the corner uh, from Embiid in a direction that nobody really was expecting the screen to come from and then Whiteside of course was guarding Embiid they attacked him by just having the shooter go right at him and Whiteside of course was not going to get out there and gave up an open two-pointer and that really was what sealed it to put them up by four um and that was yeah was I'll, I'll correct i'll correct you that they were up one and that put them up four. oh yes okay thanks. we thought it was we, we thought it put them up four but then it went that way and then then wade got fouled on a play that we disagreed with the foul call Embiid got wade clean it looked like and then they called the foul wade splits the free throws and reddick gets fouled after getting a great free throw defensive rebound so three games to one now this series looks pretty over uh the heat just could not score it albert namad had a good no that the heat led at halftime of all four of these games and then just got worked it in the second half pretty much every time except for game two so looking like this one will probably get closed out in five this is a heat team that plays hard philly can always self-destruct with some turnovers but this pretty much was their self-destruct game and it's amazing how much they've yo-yoed from three to i mean they've been under 25 percent in two of the games games two and four and they've been over 50 percent in the other two games so they certainly would be on track to shoot really well and i'm sure the wells fargo center crowd will be rocking and uh you know that's about all i've got to say on this one i mean i think miami just does not have the talent i mean you might want to see more kelly olenic he only had the nine minutes in this one i guess they feel like they can't get away with him guarding mp but i would say hey you know what like let's let make joel mb go for 35 in the next game like go ahead post up uh we're gonna single cover him don't foul and uh you know maybe maybe we'll dig down when he tries to put the ball on the floor and, and let's make him beat us and then maybe we'll tire him out a little bit uh on the defensive end if he's getting the ball every time on offense but i think they just they got to have a linux out there because otherwise they just they're, they're not gonna be able to score it and maybe you even have a linux out there with a Winslow at the four and Josh Richardson at the three which is an alignment they went to a little bit and really try to not give Embiid a hiding place maybe you try to go for more of an offensive lineup but uh that's uh seems like an imperfect solution to be sure let's go to what I I guess you could call the the upset of the day though it was a team winning at home Minnesota continued a couple of through lines from the series in terms of defending the Rockets better than I anticipated and in this game it wasn't Houston just missing every single three 
Like Houston ended up 15 from four, 15 to 41 from distance. But Minnesota did a nice job contesting shots, and they also got a ridiculous game from Derrick Rose. 17 points. Well, hold, hold on, on a second. 16 shots from the Yeah, field. I mean, ridiculous. Uh, uh, ridiculous in terms of taking 16 shots and scoring 17 points. Not like the best game of his career. Yeah, he did have a couple like of misses late, and, and he, hit a, he hit a big corner three late. Yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, they, they got that. Carl uh, Anthony Towns returned. He was involved enough in this one. Still probably not involved enough overall. But what I really liked about minnesota here and part of this was i think houston's defense which had been so good in the first two games kind of reached a tipping point with ryan anderson playing more now where you had gerald green anderson on the floor harden out there too who you know has been good in their system switching but you get them out in space and it becomes more of a problem um and what they were doing minnesota was it wasn't even all right now we're gonna get the switch and now we're gonna back out to half court and everyone like hug into the lane and i'm gonna go one-on-one it was we're just gonna go and we're gonna go right at you even if it's just the guy who's guarding us we're gonna try and get in the lane draw a close out let that guy attack off the dribble um Teague I thought was awesome like he just blew past Chris Paul one-on-one you know and Paul at his age is not the quickest guy just in that sort of situation he's tough he can get over screens he can hold up on switches better they posted up Andrew Wiggins some when Paul was guarding him um I thought that Butler was awesome just driving past guys even though he suffered a, a left ankle tweak which is the that's the opposite of, of the knee that he tore um with the meniscus in earlier in the season against the, the rockets but i really like that rose too it was really working more off the ball but they're able to get him the ball enough still and crawford hit some shots early it, it was uh but it was most of it was just attacking one-on-one you know and, and it was just but it was making a quick decision going quickly after the ball is thrown to you before the help can just load up and everyone kind of falls asleep and now you know there's really nowhere to go and you have to take a jumper or go into traffic it's just a little bit more more ball movement and a little more quick decision making and attacking i thought really worked wonders for the, the minnesota timberwolves along those lines andrew wiggins had an unusual game for him him and that he was very efficient 20 points on 13 shooting possessions but that wasn't fueled by him getting to the basket a ton he only had one make in the restricted area did get fouled a couple times of course but he made three of or sorry four of six from three and just just hit the shots that were available to him and if he plays like that and i thought he did a, a pretty solid job defensively not aces or anything like that minnesota can have a more valuable player yeah and to have teague butler and wiggins go a combined combined 11 for 17 from three you know that's not going to happen they were 15 out of 27 from three as a team but that was pretty impressive you know and i thought that butler in particular particular has not been a great three-point shooter this year looked good was very aggressive just taking spot up threes when the ball was swung to him and one of the big criticisms was well you know they don't have enough guys to finish the plays that other guys are starting right but with wiggins teague and butler all hitting these shots teague even hit a couple of off the dribble three i think all right the only one i think it was uh but he was great in 41 minutes he had 23 points uh eight assists i thought he really was had provided the example in games one and two which thibodeau had actually lauded of here's how we need to attack we need to go hard at, at the man get into the paint and, and make plays quickly and teague was doing that he was very aggressive it wasn't just all right you know i'm gonna pound it and pound it and the shot clock's gonna run down you know james harden style attacking isolations they don't quite have the talent to do that um but 
so i mean i was critical of tibbs saying oh we we're not going to change our approach they did get towns in the in the post a little bit more but he still was only five out of 13 he did have 18 points and 16 rebounds but at least they just attacked faster and that was obviously they're going to look better hitting their threes as well uh but let's talk a little bit about minnesota's defense here i think that their strategy you know carl towns isn't some awesome rim protector but they did enough in this one to make life slightly difficult uh, on harden and you know eric gordon really was not able to get to the rim very much for the rockets they did go 14 15 out of 41 from three which is you know right about what they normally shoot but it just this is the third game in a row now they've scored a 105 102 and 104 in these games the rockets other than a brief period late in the second did not look like the rockets to me yeah i would agree with that and when you consider that these the guys that are in the rotation right now that might not be in it long term like gerald green those are more offensive players than defensive players players you know swapping green for Mbamute is a massive net positive for the Rockets but not necessarily offensively and Anderson played 18 minutes I think he's going to be more marginalized in in the later rounds just because of his defensive limitations and so to see them so out of it was was definitely unusual PJ Tucker wasn't hitting his shots in this game I I just thought we also didn't see that much from Trevor Reza he is definitely a support player but he just what he just wasn't that present and I I thought he would be a bigger part of this especially Especially with you know drawing in in their system it's hard to say primary assignments but you know being starting on jimmy butler let's put it that way some interesting stats here and synergy for whatever reason doesn't break this out by points per possession but just in terms of the types of plays that these teams are running minnesota had 20 post-ups houston had zero <laughs> houston does not really post up pick and roll ball handler houston and this includes both plays where the guy passed out of a pick and roll and when he just attacked and that guy finished the play minnesota eight because again they're switching everything so you're not going to get traditional pick and roll stuff houston 32 iso minnesota 35 houston 12 and then spot ups were about equal which is that minnesota actually had more spot up possessions which also can include driving off of a spot up than houston did I, that's that's just i'm not saying whether that's good or bad but i think to say all right james harden you're gonna have to beat us at the rim off the pick and roll uh harden shot well enough on threes three of eight uh paul did they did not let him get to the three-pointer on the out of pick and roll really you know they're playing conventional pick and roll defense and towns was under the rim and just causing just enough problems that they weren't able to shoot a great percentage at the rim and then uh, they also shot poorly from the free throw line in large part just due to capella going one out of six and i thought that capella was a little bit underutilized you know again we're going to take another really good defensive player as a switch guy off the floor he only played 27 minutes they went to anderson anderson his first game back from a sprained ankle had 12 points on four six threes but you know defensively doesn't really provide much room protection at all and i thought minnesota has done a really good job of guarding both small small pick and rolls and pick and pops you know they're not they're doing a good job of staying on the access to the pop man and, and not allowing that pass to happen easily so they've actually i mean maybe because this is a playoff series and tibbs can really lock into them and kind of just drill all right this is what you do in this situation and houston does not have the most complex offense that maybe they're able to finally execute that in a way that they weren't quite as much in the regular season how are you feeling about this series i think we both picked rockets in five i still feel like that's the most likely outcome but minnesota has played th- their defense has been better overall in this series than i expected even though this was the first game their offense actually looked good yeah and i think also it's just we saw this with the bucks the other day these young teams when they get home you know they can really be exhorted and, and by all accounts the crowd was great in their first playoff game in 14 years in minnesota uh 
they can really get exhorted to a higher level of intensity and maybe i think that was part of them just playing at a higher offensive pace as well i do expect houston to come out in the next game and play a lot better you know harden did not dominate in this one he only had seven assists 29 points paul ended up fouling out this is great by the way when you were like protesting him taking a euro foul and you're like oh he gets fouls in bunches and it was only his third and there was it was like the beginning of the fourth quarter or something and i was like okay he does but like come on he's not gonna foul he fouled out uh but there are they were already pretty much down 20 he, he got two other fouls in about a minute and a half <laughs> i mean it didn't make the difference of the game but he, he only ended up playing 30 no. minutes uh in part two to falling out yeah, and I, I thought he, you mentioned this earlier, but it's worth repeating that he did struggle defending Jeff Teague one-on-one, and it is surprising that such a basic approach can work, and I think this ties in with what we've seen in the Cleveland series of Victor Oladipo. You, do, you don't need the screen to create separation. You could just beat your guy to the spot and do it the same way. Well, and it also ties in with what we did not see in our last game of the day, Pell's Blazers, where Lillard was able to get going a little bit more, but, you know, he's got like, it's fine. If you got Holiday on you, yeah, it's probably not going to work the iso but if you got ian clark on you why bring another defender in and let him get trapped like just let him just go beat ian clark like ian clark is not a good uh defensive player but this was really you know the pels were up two at halftime the blazers had a nice start to the game but it always felt like the pels were out talenting them cj was hitting some crazy shots he really got to the rim well uh lillard started hitting some tough shots at the rim aminu shot it well from three this is the first game that portland really has been themselves offensively but they're really coming from behind at a frantic pace and ultimately the pels were led by 47 points from anthony davis and 40 41 points from Drew Holiday. Uh, Only the third playoff game that I can recall of recent vintage where two guys went for 40 there was a game four in 2012 both lebron and wade for the heat when they were down 2-1 against the pacers and chris bosh had just gotten injured and then of course that game five both lebron and Kyrie putting up 41 points in oakland for the Cavs to win that one uh so pretty awesome and then rondo was great again with 16 assists i mean some of the passes that he was making full court to guys that behind the back on the baseline to ad was unbelievable and it's pretty incredible and speaks to like how good the setup was for davis not that he's a, you know maybe the best finisher in the game but for him to have 47 points and i don't think a single one of those buckets was self-created other than his offensive rebounds was incredible and davis scored a, a majority of his points on the interior who is 9 of 13 in the restricted area but he did hit some jump shots too had a had a big three late was two of three on above the break threes and then overall two of four from three and two of four from mid-range but you, you mentioned this a little bit with the offensive rebounds the offensive rebounds and also just Portland not being able to contain him. Davis had 17 free throws in this game. He had at more than the Portland Trailblazers attempted as a team. He also made more than the Portland Trailblazers made as a team. And they just had no answer for it. You know, Nurkic at certain other elements, when they went to their backup bigs, Davis just, just beasted on them, including there were a couple times when there was the one play when Ed Davis tried to get a, a post up and get a hook shot over Anthony Davis. And that was one ended up being one of his three blocks as well. Holiday. 15 out of 23 from the field and uh, on twos 13 out of 16 also 12 free throw attempts eight assists that 41 points though he did have seven turnovers and holiday's two-point shooting in this game like the uh, between ad and holiday and then the spacing provided uh, by miritich who wasn't huge in this game he had 30 in game three but it played 41 minutes in this one but mostly was a spacer in this game this portland team held opponents to 55 percent shooting in the restricted area and new orleans completely eviscerated them in the restricted area in this series in this game 
at halftime, there was a one point at which they were 21 out of 23. I don't think it was halftime. It was a little bit afterwards. 21 out of 23 in the restricted area. They finished 25 out of 31 in the restricted area. And then they also, Portland was great at not fouling all year. They took 39 free throw attempts in this game with 29 combined between Davis and Holiday. And for Holiday, I'm just so impressed with his strength, his bounce around the rim, his patience. And he just is going through guys, his own defender, guys like Aminu. There's a playing game too, and he just shouldered Aminu out of the way and went for a land. And Holiday really, I think he spent a couple of years dealing with the stress reaction action in his leg where he had to miss a bunch of time really you know wasn't able to train he's doing a lot of rehab then uh his wife uh, had that convalescence early last year so i think that you know he was really taken out of being able to work out and so he's reached a peak athletically much later than guys do i mean at 27 here he shot a career high at the rim 65 percent, which is awesome for a guard and then he also shows you his strength 34.8 percent of the shots he was fouled on were and once that's which is awesome again for a guard you know that is really just the, the strength and the bounce that he's had i mean he had that incredible dunk in portland and he just he'll accelerate he gets a little bit of an advantage and then once there he's just able to shoulder past the guy regular point guard sized dudes had no chance guarding him in this series and Portland now, sorry, not Portland. They have a long, well, much longer than this off. But New Orleans gets a full week off because the earliest the second round series can start is the Saturday of of the following week. And Portland has a lot of thinking to do. We, we're going to do an off season preview on them, but it's not going to be right now. But their specific limitations were exploitable and exploited in this series. Yeah, and Mark Stein saying there's some chance that Terry Sotts' job could be in jeopardy, although Orlando would apparently have. Have interest immediately there and i certainly sats has done a, well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say a little bit more if he gets if he gets fired everyone who has an opening should be interested in terry stotts yeah i agree with that i mean it, i do think that he had some failures in this series certainly the inability to deal with the traps for lillard i mean and they weren't even like how about you invite a trap on Lillard and then you make sure that CJ McCollum just is right there for an outlet. You know, we didn't really see much of that. We didn't see any kind of ISO. We didn't see much, if any, we saw it a couple of times of guard, guard, pick and rolls. Um, the flare screen action that they love to run, which was rendered relatively ineffective this year due to not having a guy like Alan Crabb anymore. I mean, New Orleans was just all over that. They didn't get anything out of that action all series. Um, and then defensively his system which had been so good protecting the rim forcing mid-rangers they just got shredded there as well and a lot of that was a lack of talent harkless missed two games in the series i think once they were down 3-0 it was like all right you know he's getting some swelling let's just not have him play um they certainly rushed him back especially after they lost game one and he was good in game two didn't do anything in game three turner was back with that toe contusion and you know he obviously has some massive limitations they didn't guard him at all um and the personnel was very limited i mean there was one point late in the first quarter where it was dame playing with pat Connaughton, wade baldwin ed davis and zach collins and you're just like you know napier i think was injured today and didn't play but you're just like man like what, what uh, how is dame supposed to make anything work with this and you know pick and roll traps are things that other coaches have found solutions to they might get you for a game or two i mean indiana was flummoxed in the first half of game three and then they had solutions in the second half of game three yeah and you remember the warriors were flummoxed in a couple games of that cleveland series in 2015 and then they figured it out you know obviously that warriors team has a lot more talent than portland but certainly if i had to put blame for this and 
I mean, part of this blame is, you know, does Terry Stotts get fired if Portland is the sixth seed and New Orleans is the th- is the three seed? And, you know, the Portland wins. And, and they were one game apart in record. Right. In the actual season. Yeah. And clearly we blew this one. Uh, congratulations to the Pels. They are only the second lower seeded team to sweep a best of seven first round series, at least under this playoff format. You know, I think there was a time when, you know, in the 60s when the first, you know, it, there was, you're already at the semifinals and they would play a, a best of seven first round series uh, it might have even been less than that i'm not sure but but anyway nobody really saw this coming the, do you know well, actually i tweeted it so you probably saw it the other team that has won a first round series via sweep as the lower seed i saw yeah, it. Tw- 2015 wizards over the wraps and that was a four or five series this was three six but obviously these teams are very close but i think you know, it's funny for a coach they had that great 17 game win streak and they were going incredibly well and dame was playing incredibly well i mean you know a big part of why they haven't been as good as dame hasn't been as good and he got taken out of that I don't know how much that ankle sprain that he suffered late in the year maybe had to do with some of his issues in this series as well. Uh, And he really, you know, I probably was too high on him in the top 10 players pro, uh, podcast as a playoff player. You know, he's, I think he's shooting like 40% from the field overall in the playoffs now. He had that big shot against the Rockets in 2014, but really hasn't delivered a ton in most of these series. CJ was awesome tonight with 38 points, but, um, you know, he's pretty inconsistent on this too. But so I don't know where they go from here. I mean, they got it seemed like, oh, how are they going to keep this team together when they're going so well? And now it's oh, disappointments again. But I would say that. If you had to decide between firing the coach and firing the GM, the GM, Neil O'Shea, would deserve to go more than the coach would. But, you know, it doesn't really work that way, right? If you bring in a new GM, then the coach usually ends up going right after that anyway. That's true. And it will also be hard for Portland, given their lack of flexibility. I mean, they can make decisions on the margins, but I mean, we'll, we'll get we'll get to that a lot later on. One other quick play I wanted to mention, just because it was, it was so frustrating at the time that I had to mention it. At the very, very end of the first half, the Blazers missed a shot oh god and drew holiday has the rebound and zach collins fouls him blatantly fouls him pretty obviously and there was one second left on the clock and the and the pelicans were in the bonus so it was two free throws and then it should have been a technical but then ended up being double technical so they didn't get so so new orleans didn't get an extra shot and it's just just a totally brain dead play and he's a rookie zach collins will get better i liked a lot of what we've seen from him this year but that sort of thing in a playoff series should not yeah as a white rookie center you're already going to get enough foul calls like you don't have to compound it with a, a bonehead play like that all right well that will do it for tonight thanks for listening again to this marathon this is the last time i'm sure in fact we know that to be certain because this series is already over that we will have uh eight series to discuss but those these two sunday night episodes are always some of my favorites and uh we'll be back on monday only two games so maybe we'll do some other feature we got to talk southwest division prospects here at some point got to talk hoop summit at some point uh all defense at some point. we still have a lot of stuff we got to get to but uh with twitter nba show in these four game days we're a little exhausted but thanks so much for listening please don't forget to support us at patreon.com slash dunk the room especially if you like the twitter nba show that's essentially not ad supported and uh especially if you listen to this on an early release podcast on patreon thank you so much for your support we will talk to you all tomorrow night till then at Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.